0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Iron Works Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler, and I'm Zach. And today we are continuing our series talking about the Trinity, which is a very lofty and very theological subject. But it is, uh, you know, Zach and I were talking before we started, and we're going to actually continue this just for a few minutes. You know, we like to sometimes open up with something a little different. And uh, there's a there's an unfortunate trend, Zach, that we we feel that. Because we are engaging in a world as Christians with theology and spirituality and prayer and steps of faith, right. it's very easy for Christians to become very hesitant and cagey about practical matters, especially related to ministry. So if give you an example. Uh, as we look to... Consider where our long-term space will be as a congregation as we start talking about things like budgets and building funds and, you know, five-year plans and and strategy and mission statements. A lot of Christians have a very strong aversion to that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. whether in ministry or in their life. And uh, it's really unfortunate because the Bible actually has quite a lot to say about that. And. We we ought to be redeeming those things for the work of the ministry and even for our own spiritual lives, right?
1: Oh yeah, we were talking uh, just just the other day actually with somebody where they were they were discussing kind of how what is our approach to these things and and I think you and me kind of came to it in the conversation of just saying well look we feel that if we're gonna be in ministry right you know we're we're blessed to be in full time ministry if we're gonna be in ministry we ought to approach that ministry with at least the same level of intensity. And drive, and focus, and planning, and all those other you know words that you'd use about a business. We ought to be approaching it with at least that much uh, of of those qualities in in our ministry.
0: Yeah, there's a whole parable Jesus tells about the the uh, shrewd steward, where he actually says that he says the sons of darkness are more shrewd than the sons of light in their own business. And he said, you have all this thought and wisdom and energy that you put towards your regular business, he said, why can't you take a little bit of that and do that for the kingdom of heaven? And actually, one of the points he's making there, too, is why don't go out into the world make a whole bunch of money so that you can uh, build, use it to build treasure in heaven? Like, yeah. really? And we think that something like administration is maybe unspiritual, but there's, in fact, a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. endows certain people with which is the spiritual gift of administration.
1: And as somebody who I think has that or is growing in that gift, one of the things I've noticed is that it's very bad to... Uh, make a false dichotomy between those two things oh this person is a practical person but this person over here is spiritual
0: yeah you could go the other way too right
1: oh yes yeah and I think both of those are they're not good because what what, number one what you're doing is you're just saying I have this gift and everybody should be more like me right the practical (laughs) the practically (laughs) gifted person is like why aren't you more you know just hard as nails like me and you got to look at the bottom line and then the spiritually gifted I say spiritually that's I don't even really believe that there's a split there but a person who's more spiritually minded let's say says oh you're so crass and you're thinking about horrible things like money and how will everybody fit in the building and i'm just on a higher level and of course both of those things are a little silly right i think that really when we look at what what we see scripturally the spiritual gifts that are laid out are all you know that's why i don't even like sometimes i was talking about like divisions between the gifts oh these are the 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 miraculous ones or these are the real spiritual ones and then these are just these other gifts well if you're walking the way you ought to be your administration your mercy your helps you know those those gifts that we don't see as sign gifts or whatever those ought to be just as supernatural as the other gifts they are
0: just as supernatural right you've got this whole big book in the bible called proverbs which is all (laughs) practical wisdom yeah it's about Saving money and spending money and dealing with people and don't go into a business with a guy like this. And Jesus talks about just in passing, but it shows you how much he approves of the idea Mm -hmm. of if you're going to build a building, you got to count the cost. right? Right. That's part of what we do. Many people don't much care for the books of the end of Exodus or Leviticus or even into Deuteronomy, because a lot of that is about the building of the tabernacle. It's about mm-hmm. the day-to-day things. It's it's the administrative aspect of the Old Testament. Yep. And that was a huge bit. So I think a lot of this is reaction to the seeker-friendly uh, church growth movement that got into yes. a lot of really crass stuff with that, mm-hmm. where it was all very corporate and it was all about putting on a show to attract people to the church. And and there was some good, strong rebukes that were needed and necessary, but uh, we don't react to that and respond to that by saying, therefore, I'm never going to take the time to look at the church budget or <laughs> in my personal life, I'm just going to trust God to provide. I'm not going to, you know, show up for work on time and things right. like that, that these things are important and they're needed and... and uh, We could talk about this at length, but I thought just a good reminder for everybody as we get into this that... We're talking about some deep spiritual theological matters. Don't be the kind of person that draws a line between what's spiritual and what's carnal or fleshly. All these things are spiritual if they're done in the Lord. And and sometimes people use it as a cover-up for laziness too, Oh, absolutely. Right? Well, (laughs) we're just waiting on the Lord. That's why we haven't actually taken the time to figure this out. Saul was like that, right? Yes. (laughs) I'm
1: glad we've had a prayer meeting. Now let's go get up and do the thing, right? And, you know, if you've ever tried, you know, if you've ever tried to save any money, you know that it requires spiritual help to do that anyway. So <laughs> yeah, it does. You, we can't split these two things. That it, but yeah, it's, uh, that we've just been thinking about that a lot. And just, you know, as you as you confront these next steps in ministry, you begin to see how all these things are woven together. The, the, there's no split between the practical and the spiritual.
0: No. And even if you are going to end up doing something that a, a businessman, for example, would never do out of faith. Mm hmm you still need to know what is the size of this step of faith that I'm taking. (laughs) Right. Like that's important to know. You've got to know, all right, well, what what can we do through the wisdom the Lord has given and through the wisdom of scripture and so on? And what are we needing God to fill in? Mm. You know, like we have X number in the budget, but we need X plus this. All right. We're gonna pray for the Lord to do that, and that helps you shape your prayers and focus your decisions. And uh, it's it's very good to have a a full view. I didn't want to say balance because they're like you said they're not in opposition. A full view mm. of what a Christian is. A Christian is the man who walks through life full of all the best wisdom that God has to offer. And many times we look at spiritual figures and we think, well, they they were not as nose to the grindstone hard workers like right. everybody else. They, they just float and let God do things. <laughs> and uh, there's a great story of John Wesley and George Whitefield. George, John Wesley, who, of course, I mean, all of them together, founded the Methodist movement because John Wesley was very methodical and he was organizing a denomination. He was setting up teachers and he was setting up, here's how you follow your spiritual life. And George Whitfield who you might want to say was the more spiritual in that that false dichotomy sense he actually made a statement to Wesley later on in his life he says you've done better than I have because this is going to outlive you because you've built this administrative system as mm-hmm. opposed to not to bring anything down against George Whitfield but even he recognized uh, yeah I did a lot of great preaching and things but you're the one that actually had that gift of administration that prepared it to be handed off to the next group so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, we are though today going to be talking still about the Trinity, about some very cerebral things, very thinky things when it comes to our theology, and uh, it's good for us to understand that. It, we there are those that don't like theology. I don't want to learn about theology. I just want to. I just want to love Jesus. Well, you say hmm. I just want to love Jesus, but. All those things that you're going to bank on and say, I just want to know, that's all theological. Yep. And you've got to learn the foundations and the reasons behind these things. So uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says that the goal is is to know him, to know Jesus. And he says, and the power of his resurrection. But many folks are like, oh, I want to know the power of, of his resurrection but it's like you also got to know him. You got to know him personally. You got to know everything. If you love Jesus, you want to know everything the Bible has revealed about him. And as we talk about the Trinity, the aspect today we're looking at is the Christology, to know as much about who Jesus is and how he fits in this picture of the Trinity, because there are some very specific doctrinal details. You like that alliteration, Zach? (laughs) Doctrinal details that uh, we have to have to learn. So, uh, Zach, why don't you catch us up so far? We've talked about the ontology of the Trinity, and the economy of the Trinity. Catch us up on what those things mean. So we talked
1: about the ontology, which is the the being, how the Trinity is. What What is the relationships? We talked about the relationships between the members of the Trinity, or members, I guess, not correct word, more like the the, per, the persons of the Trinity. And then we talked about the economy, which is what does the Trinity do? How are those relationships carried out in what we see in Scripture? So we talked about things like the fact that the Father is the, the one who— or, um, that originates is I don't think the correct term that we use. Generates. We use, yeah, sun. generates. Generally
0: generates the son.
1: Right. And then we we talked about how the the Spirit is then inspired by the Father and the and the Son. And the typically the work that we see them doing. The Son is going out and accomplishing the things that the Father wills. And then the Father is typically the one who's in judgment. And we talked about how the Spirit is the one empowering us to do different things. So those are all on the, on the economic side, which just means the works, the things that the, the
0: Trinity does. Right. So that's the background of where we've been, and today we're going to be assuming all of those things, Mm. one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance, and today we're going to talk about Jesus, the Christology. There are are a few very important things that we need to know about this, and I want to actually start out with a story, uh, maybe two stories, actually. Um, There was one time we were... Out at the bus stop in my home church, we were evangelizing, uh, handing out tracts, handing out hot chocolate, if I remember correctly, and talking (laughs) about the Lord. And um, two Muslim men came up, and I believe they were Nation of Islam, which is is black Islam. It's a little different than uh, what you see maybe in Iran or Saudi Arabia, but they came up and, and... they actually said, hey, we love what you guys are doing. Thanks so much. They gave us like a newspaper, like, you know, the, the Lynchburg Islam or something <laughs> like that. It was, and hey, we love what you're doing. And they say, you know, we're all worshiping the same God. And, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter how we label it. So very progressive Muslims also, uh, but my friend who was there that I was, I was a young guy, so we we're kind of in teams, and he says very gently, well, no, we're, we don't worship the same God, because what you believe about Jesus is very different than what we believe, and they said, well, yeah, 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 I mean, you know, so you say, well, we say Jesus is a prophet, you say he's God, he's a prophet, he's God, I mean, what what's the difference, really? And uh, they were making it sound like a side issue about the identity of Jesus Christ, but that is, in fact, the major important issue that separates us as Christians is who Jesus is. And the irony of that, Zach, is he actually wasn't a very good Muslim either because that's one of the reasons, and in fact, the reason Muslims abominate Christianity and the gospel yes, is that century, doctrine of yeah, Jesus. if you
1: go to the Dome of the Rock and you see in, in this beautiful flowing Arabic script, it says, far be it from Allah that he should have a son, right? So they've made it quite central to their religion is that, no, 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 that is not how God works. And and of course, it's it's at the core of
0: what christianity is you cannot be a christian if you do not understand the true nature of jesus christ right the humanity and the deity of christ which we're going to get into both today um there's also another story i may have shared this one already but uh, there was a young Druze man in our youth group Mm -hmm. who uh wanted to become saved but he asked us his question was how can jesus be god and the son of god Mm -hmm. that's a trinitarian question Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and, and he had a, a very carnal understanding of what it meant to be the Son of God. And actually that question was one of the things that launched me onto a deep, deep discussion of the Trinity building up to this day. These, these things matter. I've actually got a quote here um, from a systematic theologian named Millard Erickson who we don't agree with uh, all of his positions on the Trinity. He's got some interesting ideas that um, I don't care for, but uh, he gets the basics right. And so I'm going to read this. He says, One of the most controversial and yet crucial topics of Christian theology, is the deity of Christ. It lies at the heart of our faith, for our faith rests on Jesus' actually being God in human flesh and not simply an extraordinary human, even the most unusual person who ever lived. Zach, you agree with that? Yes. I mean well just like I was saying that this is this is the issue. This is this is Yeah, it's not a side issue. No,
1: this is crucial to what if if you want to and this is uh, this is why sometimes we struggle I struggle with that attitude like we talked about before of, oh, you know, I don't want to really do theology. I just wanna be a Christian and follow Jesus.
0: Okay, well who is Jesus? Right,
1: exactly. Which is a theological question. And I think sometimes the problem is that the word theology gets used as some sort of like it's a way for people to intellectually strut a little bit. Oh, I oh, like yeah. I like theology. Look, maybe if that word is being used that way, let's let's put it this way: Who is Jesus? What is his nature? Who is he really? And the study of theology, which just means the study of God, is what that word means, is figuring that out and understanding and knowing it. We <clears>
0: cannot <throat> serve Jesus. We
1: cannot love him. We cannot know him if we do not know who he is.
0: Right. And there's there's not a cult in the world that has not messed with the idea of Jesus. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's one they, of the first ones. They, to, yeah. that's
0: because that's where Satan is going to attack. Because yes. the nature and the identity, let's just say it this way, the identity of Jesus is the most important fact, and it is the fact that has caused the downfall and destruction of the kingdom of darkness. Mm. So when Satan starts raising up, weird groups, he's going to start by messing with their idea of who Jesus is. Oh, yeah. In so, the early
1: church, the, her- the the heresies that pop up historically, they, they immediately become, the battleground is, yeah, but who is Jesus? Well, we think Jesus didn't even make footprints in the sand. He was just a spirit. Yeah, the There's dose- a heresy. The you know? Oh, well, we think that, you know, just all of that stuff, all the Jesus Gnosticism, was an emanation of right. God. That's Gnosticism, yep. right? It was uh, immediately came up and the, oh, well, he's, you know, yeah, but there was a time when he was not. The, the Arians. Arians.
0: All of that stuff. What do you hear over and over again? Well, but who is Jesus really is the question that's yeah. being debated. He's not distinct from the Father. That's right. Patropassianism. There's all sorts of things that that came up, and uh, we're going to hit on some of those today. But uh, the identity of Jesus is the issue. But I, I will say, though, Zach, um, you can maybe hold up some other examples, but I'd say the deity of Christ might be the most embarrassing doctrine for a Christian to hold in the 21st century. Uh, you got things like huh. <laughs> homosexuality is a sin. Sure. Uh, you've got maybe angels or hell, like people don't like those. But even those that are very sympathetic to the Christian faith immediately turn on us and we start insisting that Jesus is God. And if you don't believe he is God, you cannot be a Christian.
1: Yeah. And by embarrassing, you mean, which is one of the first ones that gets jettisoned when you try very hard to be a enlightened, progressive, modern Christian? Oh, I'm a Christian, but without the weird stuff. Right? and one of the first things will get jettisoned, which means I'm
0: not a Christian, is what that usually <laughs> means.
1: <laughs> right, sorry, it's weird. You got to get used to it. But one of the first things that gets jettisoned would be anything to do with Jesus, virgin birth, incarnation. All, all of that immediately goes by the board and becomes, um, well, just a watered down version. Oh, well, he, you know, what, what you typically hear is, well, we believe that Jesus was an inspirational figure to us, and that he, you know, yeah, he, like he Gandhi an, or right, you know, he set us Luther an King, example Jr. of how to follow God, which is all just cute wording around. Yeah, but none of none of that is actually real.
0: Yeah, if a teacher, a Bible teacher, or a Christian cannot very quickly give you an answer to the question, do you believe Jesus was God?
1: Oh, that's a good point. Then there's yeah. a problem. There's a, that's a good practical if the, point. If they're going to yeah. dance around that uh-huh. issue,
0: there's an issue. I remember this was when Rob Bell was doing his whole thing. Um, <laughs> if you guys remember Rob Bell, the <laughs> yep. Love Wins uh-huh. guy, the Velvet Elvis guy, raging heretic. Um, he was on TV one time, and just being interviewed by, like, NBC or something, and very kind of pre-internet, and... My dad and i were watching and he asked him you know do you believe that jesus is the son of god or i think it was the virgin birth one mm-hmm. of those things and he gave the most slippery sideways not quite answering it question you know or answer to the question and my dad turned to me and i was i was working for him at the time like i was 18 or 19 still living at home And he looks at me he goes if you were on TV and you answered that question like that, I would fire you before you got home. <laughs> he's yeah. like, that—that's what are we doing? And of course, we know now Rob Bell didn't believe that Jesus no, no, no. was virgin born, but he was trying to maintain the clout as a, as a pastor, so to speak. But this is the issue. And some people tend to act like Christians don't believe this anymore. It's like, All right, well, Christians, back when they believed Jesus was God, it's like, uh, yeah, we still do. And, and there's, like you said, there's all sorts of ways that people try to water it down. But our theology, as you've been saying from the beginning, has to be grounded in the word of God, the written testimony of the Holy Spirit. And our generation thinks they are so stinking smart <laughs> that they yeah. can just dispense it. Just if it was done in generations prior, people feel no obligation to hold on to it. It's the craziest thing. Well, they did that back in the 50s. That's not that long ago. Like if they did something for thousands of years and then you changed, shouldn't that be an indication that maybe you're wrong, but this is not that we're not special in that way to try and dispense with the divinity of Christ or the humanity of Christ. There's those that want to do that too. Like it doesn't matter if Jesus was a man, as long as we have the idea and the symbol, it's like if you, John says, if you don't believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then you're an antichrist. So this is not new. We've got to guard the deposit of the faith until he returns. So we're going to just open up with Colossians 1, verse 19 that says, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God. Kinda of hard to get out from under that one, Arius. <laughs> all the fullness of uh-huh. God with all those implications. So we're going to talk today about the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the hypostatic union, the incarnation, all those things. I think we're going to have a good time. So uh Zach, one of the most silly things that people will say is that the deity of Christ was never taught in the Bible. Never heard that? The Bible never
1: said that Jesus is God. I have. And usually that's actually one of the first things that you hear when you're discussing uh something with a with a with a heretic of some kind or a cult member of some kind is that the immediate uh, the, the, they immediately want to say, Well, just you you show me in the Bible where it says that Jesus was God. It doesn't it doesn't say that. It doesn't say those words. And Stay so, tuned,
0: I'll do exactly that. Please. Right. But
1: that's that's their immediate like, you know, that that's the big one. They think that they've made a dunk is well, since there's you know, I, I can't find the exact words. That they, you know, and 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 what they're trying to do is create this wedge in your mind where they begin to introduce this idea, which is one factually untrue and number two. Um, like you said, a little silly. And is that, that how, I mean, that is that how we read books added. anyway? Right. Well, besides well, I'm say those exact words. Besides just, that point, yeah, they, they're yeah. trying to insert this notion of well, later on, people came and added that, and that's a yes. very, very frequent thing that you find those groups doing. Is well, yeah, yeah, that's what you believe because you believe the thing that later on people came. It was corrupted. It
0: was added. It was changed. Yeah. But, um, but here's of the deal, course, though. That's not true. People that say things like that, they really you you push just a little yeah even if they're Bible scholars and they have very little familiarity with what the Bible says Correct. Usually, what they know is they know the current literature about what the Bible <laughs> says. And yeah. that's not the same thing. And, and I am I know the Bible very well. I've read it many times. I was raised in a Bible teaching church and I've made it my life and my career. But even before that, even when I was at liberty, it was like, everybody's like, you just know the Bible really well. And it's like, well, thank you. So I mean, when I hear people say things like that, I hardly know how to respond to it because it's so dumb to say that. <laughs> but, I mean, here, here's how this comes at you. It comes very sophisticated, and, and there's there's some presuppositions in here. So people assume, number one, Jesus was not God. That's the assumption. And, well, obviously he right. wasn't God because they so often don't believe in God. Where did this curious idea
1: period. come from? Because, I mean, we, you know, obviously, yeah, there's a, there's a starting point there.
0: Yeah, so then they the second thing they assume is that Jesus never claimed to be God. We had a fellow call the church the other day who told us, you can't trust what the Bible says because that's not God's word. And that's the point where I ended the conversation because like (laughs) if, if we're not, you can't even agree on that. What conversation are we supposed to have? But the third thing that they assume is that this doctrine evolved over time. And anytime anybody wants to come against that, they say, well, you just don't understand. So anytime you pull up a scripture, they'll say, here's what they say, Zach, they say, Bible never claims that Jesus is God. You pull out something out of the Gospel of John, right? That where or, Thomas or says, "My Lord spot. and my God," uh-huh. and Jesus says, "Ah, now you believe." Or you look at the pastoral epistles, where it calls Jesus our Lord and our God, and and they say, "Well, no, no, that's late. Those were written late. They they were invent. Those pa- passages weren't written until hundreds of years later." And there's no. First of all, do you see how hypocritical that is? It's like. There's no passage in the Bible that says that. You show the one that says, well, that one doesn't count. <laughs> right.
1: Well, and, and not only that, but it, it comes from, and this is a very common circular argument type thing that you'll see in this kind of scholarship is it comes, like you said, the framework has already been established outside of the text. And I will I will point out, actually, because I come to this typically from a histo- history background because that's what I am usually interested in a lot. And um, it's outside of history, too. Uh, that, that framework they're building, it has no—they they don't have—it's not like they have some sort of historical documentation of this process. It's all assumptions all the way down. Yes. So they're saying, oh, well, because we've assumed that Jesus was not God, because we've then assumed that Jesus didn't ever claim to be God, because we've then assumed that, therefore, this must have evolved over time because we know that— um, it, there's I forget the name of the scholar, but there's a there's a very influential, very old school scholar who basically created this theory of that re- religions evolve over time. Walter Bauer was his yeah. name, and, and so late be, 1800s because they all uh, subscribe to that. They say, well, this idea, the more complex idea that Jesus is God must have evolved from more simple ideas. So therefore, let's go find in the text where we think there's earlier and later document documents going on. So you can hear even as yeah, I'm explaining they, this, they
0: say, well, th- we've proven it, but that's the process. We just told. You the process. Right. You assume Bauer's theory; it's taught in every textbook and every history of religion book, and they then interpret the text according to his theory. Right. You can if, hear if it says can... Jesus was God. We don't have evidence that that's late. We assume it's late because we're assuming that this had to have evolved yep. over time. And You
1: can hear even as we're describing it that this is this is a pretty tenuous <laughs> set of assumptions. Right. If we can prove any number of things. Uh, and, and it should be pretty easy, right? If we can prove any number of their assumptions to, to be incorrect, the whole theory doesn't work because it's all based on this chain of assumptions. And um, uh, for we'll be discussing this book probably a lot in this podcast, but a fantastic book for you to read on this is called The Heresy of Orthodoxy. Yep,
0: Michael Kruger and Andreas Kostenberger. Which
1: The Heresy of Orthodoxy talks about these ideas with, with Bauer's theories and, and some of the, some other people and basically explains that it's very simple to to understand that they're wrong because you just go study the actual history and you find that there's no historical, back basis for what they're saying. In fact, the more history that we learn about this, what actually happened in the early church, we discover that it's backwards
0: to what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, that that this whole thing is very frustrating <laughs> because yes. you you're you're taking your your lessons about how to interpret the Bible based on this guy from the late 1800s, which means that the abundant wealth of New Testament discoveries we've made of all these documents and since all the then. manuscripts since then, since then he didn't have access to any of that. No, we know he was wrong now Yeah, because the, one of the oldest fragments of scripture we have is called the Ryland's fragment from 114 AD. It's a piece of the gospel of John. Historically, traditionally, we've said Gospel of John was written in the 90s AD. It's one of the last books to be written, 90s AD, and yet it is one of. The, I think it's been since surpassed, but for a long time, it was the oldest fragment of the New Testament we had. So we have a piece of this book that was 25, 20 years after it was traditionally written, yep. and people say this couldn't have been written until hundreds of years later. So they're they're simply they're wrong. They don't yeah. like the conclusion. And we did a whole series of stuff on the integrity of Scripture, textual criticism, Mm -hmm. all that. Uh, So we're going to stand on the Scriptures. I would encourage you to familiarize yourself with these things a little more. Go back and listen to our series on the Bible. Uh, Josh McDowell has got some great, great resources on this. Um, But we can at least acknowledge this. It is true that Jesus never said the simple sentence, I am God. But the things that he did say amounted to that at least as far as his enemies were concerned. So let's look at a couple examples of this. In John chapter 5, Jesus and the religious leaders were, were fighting. And in verse 17, John five seventeen, Jesus said, My father, that's God, has been working until now, and I have been working. Well, what's the big deal there? well, we're so used to calling God our father, we miss the fact that it was significant for Jesus to say that God, my father, (laughs) and I have been doing the same thing. Seismic, even. Yes. was a word I would use. It was totally unheard of to the Jewish people. Which is why the next verse says, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Right. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Yep. The leaders did not think that Jesus was God, but Zach, they believed that Jesus thought he was God. Right. They, <laughs> right. Jesus is walking right. around saying things that are entirely unacceptable for a Jew to say. He was saying, I am God. I'm equal with God. Those are the claims he was making. It's why they wanted to put him on the cross.
1: Yeah, and and this is um, there's a very famous defense of this uh, that C.S. Lewis articulated, that uh, every time you bring it up, I've, I hear very snarky and fun uh, atheists online say, well, that's a very simplistic argument. But what's interesting to me is they never actually uh, venture any uh you know arguments against it they you're just say the trilemma yeah they just laugh and say it's simplistic but lewis what's called lewis's trilemma which means you know you hear it three dilemmas right and he says look so all the look at all the things jesus said in the gospels now tell me what kind of person says these things right so a person who says god is my father and i've always been working alongside him i came from god and i'm going to return to god god and god and me are one a person who says that lewis says he's he's you could really come down to it if you really shave all the other explanations away he's three kinds of people he is either a liar and, yep. and he says meaning and he says by the way a, a a catastrophic liar a liar like unlike any liar you've ever it's seen led to the
0: deaths of millions and millions right. of people an
1: evil liar right? Someone who lied knowing that the people who heard him would take action on it. Or he's a lunatic. And I love Lewis says on the level with a man who claims he's a poached egg, (laughs) which is one of my favorite quotes about that. Or he says, or he's exactly who he says he is. Because there's really no, like you explained to me a different option.
0: Yeah. The way he breaks it down is Jesus claimed to be God. Either this is true or it's not. Right. If it's (laughs) not true... He either knew that it wasn't true or he didn't know. Right. If he knew that this was not true, he's a liar. Yeah. If he didn't know that he was, it was true, then he was crazy.
1: Yeah. And, so, and, and, this and he is... says,
0: then he goes and he says, Jesus was one of the greatest moral teachers of all time. Liars don't do things like that. Right. He sacrificed himself and gave himself up. Then you look at the things he said. He says, this is not how crazy people act either. So the most logical conclusion, if you've seen the Chronicles of Narnia, by the way, he does, he slides that in there oh, yeah. <laughs> into the Narnia books when uh, they say, well, Lucy saw the wardrobe. So uh, logically, that's impossible. He goes, no, logically, let's break it down. Either she's telling the truth or she's lying or she's crazy. He says, she's obviously not crazy. Is she a liar? Well, no. He says All right. Then we have to assume she's telling the truth. That's a that's one of his philosophical arguments right. stuck in a children's book.
1: And what I love about that argument, that is why I think it's, you know, I'm here, if you if you let me put it this way, if you have a better argument against that, you can go ahead and uh, send us a comment and I'll, I'll happily read it because I've never heard anybody actually adequately they just meet mock this. it. Yeah, adequately meet this. The thing about it, which is excellent, is he points out and Lewis pointed out very carefully, he said, You're not allowed, based on the claims that Jesus made, to just socket him into the category of a nice man who's a moral teacher. Mm -hmm. He did not leave that option open to you. Why? Because a nice person who's a moral teacher doesn't lie to people. And also, if he's just a nice moral teacher who thinks he's God but he's wrong, he's not a nice moral teacher. Lunatics are not nice moral teachers.
0: No. And you've been around a few, like, compulsive liars. Yes. Like, you know, man, these... You or know, and, and some or people, mentally ill prophets. Yeah, and some people y- say, <laughs> "Well, they're, he was just deluded. Like Jesus was just delusional, but it doesn't make him evil." And it's like, Why would in you follow a person? in what world does that is that does that fly? Yeah, have you met a delusional person? Now, of course, if you assume that everybody you disagree with is delusional, then you can. Oh, I have met some very nice delusional people. It's like whatever. So I, we got to move along here. Sure. John eight fifty eight and John eighteen five. Jesus used the covenant name of God. He said, "I am," which He didn't say, I am God, but by saying, I am, like burning bush level, I am, they knew good and well. He did not just say that. We talked about how he said, I and the father are one, putting himself into the Shema. They tried to kill him immediately. Yeah, they picked up stones
1: right there. In the gospel, it says they did it because of blasphemy. Blasphemy, meaning he claimed he he made a claim against God's name that was completely unacceptable. It was a
0: capital crime, and they knew it, and that's why they that's why they behaved that way. Yeah, we've also got you know uh, Thomas. We talked about Thomas in some previous episodes. The the whole climax of the Book of John, the the Book of John is all about who is this Jesus, Mm -hmm. and the climax of the Book of John is the confession of Thomas when he says, "My Lord and my God," right? So, I mean, there's the Gospels, but I mean, what about the Epistles here? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, it quotes from Psalm 45 and says, To the Son, God says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. (laughs) So the book of Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament that God is saying to his Son, O God, Mm -hmm. saying that the Father calls Jesus God. So the author of the book of Hebrews is teaching his audience not only that they should think that Jesus is God, But that the God of Israel regards Jesus as God. Yes. Then his whole point is people wanted to go back to the old covenant. He says, our old covenant God has given us his son and he prophetically acknowledged him as God. So the New Testament writers attribute Old Testament statements of deity to Christ. Yes, And that's in the Bible, Zach, right? And
1: remember, remember, by the way, that this is, we talked about the book of John, all of these, and this is why you, you will hear people say, oh, yeah, yeah, but these were added later. That doesn't fly anymore based on textual criticism. Nope. Within 10 to 20 years after... The, 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 when we believe traditionally these books were written, we know that these books are, are already circulating and people are already saying, hey, this is what they're writing. These guys are saying that this is how we should think about Jesus. There's no time for an elaborate new theory to develop. yeah the, I mean, the, this is This is what people believed going all the way back in an unbroken line to the people who saw and spoke to Jesus. They immediately began to write down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this man is God. Yes.
0: The point is, the church has believed this from the beginning, y'all. Well, it's not an invented doctrine. Correct. I mean, imagine if today people were to start circulating theories that Martin Luther King Jr. was the Son of God and died and rose again and ascended to heaven. Right. That's 55, 60 years ago. Right. Nobody would believe that now. Like, are you crazy? You out of your
1: mind? You could still find people who had uh, presumably had talked to him and could say that doesn't yeah, that's, line up. There was
0: eyewitnesses like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, even if like some of his friends mm-hmm. were like, we're going to do this about him, people would show up like, no, no, no. That's this is crazy. This is nuts. And people. Go, well, they were more gullible back then. N- no, they weren't. That's your historical arrogance mm. right there. They didn't believe that people just were God. That like that's why <laughs> these Christians got run out of town yep. and crucified and torn to pieces and set on fire. Like that's that's what happens. So, mm. you know, the the Bible attributes deity to Christ. Let's look at one more thing here about why we know the Bible says this. In there, there are several things called the Granville Sharp Rule. You maybe have heard this before, guys. Let me break this down for you, Zach. There was an English abolitionist who lived in the 17 and 1800s named Granville Sharp. Oh,
1: good. Our two favorite things. You love Greek and I love history. Go on. (laughs) All right. So listen here,
0: guys. If you're looking for a baby name, Granville. (laughs) That's pretty good. Granville Sharp. There you go. Uh, He was not a pastor, but he was a very disciplined student of the scriptures, which I think is pretty cool that he didn't feel that it was beyond him to study the Bible as just a, a tradesman. But he wrote 16 different books on biblical studies. And there's one that is kind of his historical legacy. And let me read the title for you. You ready for the title of this book, Zach? This is the whole title. Remarks on the definitive article in the Greek text of the New Testament, containing many new proofs of the divinity of Christ from passages which are wrongly translated in the common English version. Well, all righty then. Hardly need to read the book now, do you? <laughs> he says, all right. I think, I think I got it, right? So that was the title of his book. What does he do? Granville sharp in his exhaustive study of the New Testament lays down certain rules for a certain Greek formation now this is this is a foreign language but I want you all to track with me because this is very important theologically an article in language Zach is in English we have two really three but it's two uh, you have the definite article which is the word the right and you have the indefinite article which is the word a or mm-hmm. N. Mm-hmm. So you say the dog. That's the definite article. You say a dog. That's indefinite. Right. Because you're saying, you know, the dog. It's specific. This one right here. A dog is indefinite. It can refer to anything. Okay. In Greek, you have uh, you have various breakdowns of the different definite articles. But here's what he says: If you have the article plus a substantive noun or a substantive verb. Plus the Greek word chi, which is the word for and, mm-hmm. and then another substantive. That's that's the rule he's writing about. What do you what do you mean when you get that formulation in Greek? A substantive usually is a noun of some kind. So you've got the noun plus and noun. So the blank and blank. Mm-hmm. He says if you have that formulation, he has six different rules, and uh, one of them is the famous one. So it's actually much longer than people remember. But here it is. Any two things which are preceded by one article and joined by the conjunction chi or and refer to the same thing. And there's Mm -hmm. several caveats and exceptions to that. Let me say it again. If you have the blank and blank in Greek, those two blanks are referring to the same thing. Mm -hmm. Daniel Wallace has an excellent book called Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics that has a long, long definition of this. And this might sound boring to you, but it profoundly affects the interpretation of two particular passages. The first one is Titus 2, verse 13. Paul writes that we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You hear that? Mm-hmm. Great God and Savior. In Greek, this is kai kaisoteros. So, you have the article, to, which is that definite article, plus a substantive, feu, which means God. You got the word kai, which means and, and then another substantive, soteros, which means Savior. The adjective in that verse, great, does not affect this construction. So, because it is the God and Savior, whatever Paul is describing there can only refer to one thing. In English, you might say, well, God... And then our Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. In fact, Two that's different how things. some interpreters want to yes.
1: look at that passage and say, no, 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 no. It's it's saying our great God, comma, you, you might say, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, yeah. is what they're looking trying for the, to argue. the
0: appearance of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But the way the Greek is constructed right. is that Paul is referring to Jesus as our God and Savior. Mm-hmm. That Jesus is called Both. God and Savior, right. Jesus Christ. If you drop the Savior, which you could legitimately do, he's saying, the appearance of our great God, Jesus Christ. That's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter does the same thing. He says, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not the righteousness of our God and the righteousness of our Savior. It's the same construction. According to the sharp rule, both Peter and Paul explicitly wrote that Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. So when people say the Bible never claims that Jesus is God, you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus is our God and Savior. According to Peter and Paul.
1: And that's one of the reasons I think, honestly, that in God's providence, He used the, the the Old Testament to be written in Koine Greek and not a language like English, because Greek is so exact and has so many of those pinpoint, like no, it, it's it's meaning this, mm-hmm. that it allows us to be so strong on these things. We you even hear we're having to kind of massage it around in the English to help you hear how it is because English is a little bit more vague sometimes. Greek's not like that, guys. You, there's not a lot Greek of... Greek is
0: very precise. Yeah,
1: there's not a lot of wiggle room. It, it is a language that was used a lot of times to hit the nail on the head verbally and say, we mean this concept in this way. And that's exactly how you need to interpret these passages. We know what they mean. Yeah, We, we know what the passage means. Now, whether or not some people like it is a different thing, but it's very clear what the meaning
0: yeah, is. Yeah, you can believe that they're wrong. Right. <laughs> but you cannot believe that they didn't say that. Uh-huh. Or that they did you, not you can't. think or or that you don't know what they thought. You, you can't you, say Peter, Paul, John did not believe that Jesus was God. Right. You simply can't say that. Right. Now, you can say, "Well, those things were written late." Well, are you going to actually follow what the archaeology and textual criticism show? Or are you just going to continue to insist upon your doctrine because right. you want to? I think mm-hmm. I know the answer for some folks. But hopefully this this boosts some of you guys. I mean, we could go on. I mean, the New Testament tells us that we should worship Jesus. After a whole Old Testament of telling us, you shall have no other gods before me, but worship Jesus. Mm-hmm. Obedience to Jesus, faith in Jesus, love for Jesus, the glorification of Jesus, the return of Jesus. The idea that Jesus was just a good rabbi, Whose followers got a little carried away. That's just foreign to history. It's not in the Bible. The ones who knew Jesus worshipped him and taught other people to also worship him. It's interesting that, that now we say it's easy for us to accept that Jesus was a man, but it's hard for us to believe he was God. For a long time in history, Zach, the opposite of that was true. Right. Like people believe, well, I know he's God, but you can't—you don't believe he was actually a man that came to the earth, mm-hmm. do you? They thought that they were being more
1: spiritual by arguing against that, and yep. the church had to argue, no, 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 he was a real man. Like I, I, we, we, we saw him. We walked with him. We ate with him. He was an actual. Yes, he was God, but he, he was incarnated, um, and so people had to argue. And now the fad is, well, <laughs> yeah, sure, he's a rabbi, but you don't believe that that he's God. And I think that's instructive to us. It points out that we are always tempted to just dismiss things theologically because of the th- the the intellectual fads of our time yeah we all you know back in the day for them it was much more it made much more ideological sense and intellectual sense for them to say oh yes the gods a lofty you know god could even visit us but he can't be a person because to them intellectually that seemed silly and dumb in their day it was very common for them to think that romans felt like that greeks felt like that whatever well in our day it's very it f- it's, seems very foolish to say that you know a man would actually be God. So we try and dismiss that. And we're no better or different than people from back then. We just have different ideological, you know, intellectual fads that we try and follow. And
0: all these people, man, that want to like use Christianity now as like our cultural touchstone. You know, we have to keep coming back to it because he's such a prominent voice. But, you know, Jordan Peterson and others, Dennis Prager, these guys that we might agree with on a lot of things, but... You know, to to come to the Bible and start talking about what Jesus said and not talk about who Jesus is or even imply that it's irrelevant who Jesus is and say, we we believe in the symbols, but we don't. It's like that's not what the Bible teaches. That's simply not what the Bible says. And and the church has thought about these things for a long, long time. And for people that, like the ones I just named, who are insisting that we take the time to grow our minds and go back and read the classics and return to our heritage, how about you guys do a little bit of that too? And go back and realize that that we know who Jesus is. You know, it's not just what we worship, the idea of the logos. No, we worship the logos made flesh, Jesus Christ.
1: And that same test, and this may sound like a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it isn't because these are the modern people in our day who push heresies. Yep. and I'm, I'm and it using is heresy. that word. Don't I'm, get that wrong. Yeah, I'm guys. using that word very intentionally. When, when you know, just to make it clear, when Jordan Peterson was asked in a recent uh, interview, you know, well, what do you, do you believe that Jesus actually did any of these things, or that Jesus, well, I forget what the actual formulation of the question was, but he went on a bizarre multi-minute excursion where he's like well it depends on what you mean by happened it depends on what you mean by really happened and it was so it became so no then. right right and it became so <laughs> silly that even unbelievers have started mocking him and saying well it's not hard dude like what do you what do you think and, and it's important you know that same test that you used from before if you ask a person what do you really believe about jesus and they don't have a simple answer beware of them that ought to apply to the intellectual figures in our day especially the ones that christians are tempted to make common cause with yeah if you you can say whatever you want about nice ideas about history about literature about the classics but when you come to interact with our scriptures and our God we are the arbiters Of what it means and what it says not you and i'm gonna i'm gonna actually like say that with my chest because here's the the thing it's so common for people to come and and speak with a voice of authority on matters that they truly do not understand with regards to christianity you you would people would be embarrassed to say these things about any other religion well i'll defer to these people who are scholars of this and they they know but you come to christianity and we have people who are untaught in all practical ways on these things, speaking incredibly strongly about what Christians have thought and what Christians believe when they themselves are not a Christian. You do not get to speak for us. We, ha- we have a 2,000-year lineage of unbroken belief and teaching on what is orthodox thought on who Jesus Christ was and is. We are the ones who get to make that determination.
0: Yeah, guys, don't get excited when you see some of your favorite podcasters talking about the Bible necessarily mm. because what what is being peddled by these folks is a, a very very liberal brand of Christianity that has been tried in the Episcopalian church, yep. the Methodist yes. church, kind of the Anglican church. That's, you know, we kind of like the Catholics cause you know, we're all the same thing. And it's kind of the most stripped down, filed, the serial numbers off. You don't have to believe that Jesus was God, but yep. if you do, that's great. Like Milk we ran water. that experiment. Yep. That's what broke the culture. Mm. You can't take us back to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, act one because it, we know where it ends, yep. you know, because it is postmodernism. That's the ir- irony of that, of these, you know, these opponents of postmodernism have a very postmodern view of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. That really what matters is what it means to you. It's like, get out of here with that nonsense, Mm -hmm. man. Look, if we're going to have a biblical theology, we must believe that Jesus was divine with all the attributes of deity. He did not minimize his divinity whatsoever to become human. We'll discuss how those things interact later on. But for now, we're just simply to affirm that Jesus is, was, and forever will be God. Right. Are you with me, friends? (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing else to say. That's, That's what the Bible says. So... Let's move on now to talk about the humanity of Jesus, all right? Jesus Christ was a man. Duh. (laughs) That that fact, though, as, as simple as it might sound to you, is as important to true theology as the deity of Christ. It's easier for us to accept his humanity today, but as we said... It's uh, <laughs> that was not always the case, and I have found that once we acknowledge both the humanity and the deity of Christ, Zach, it's the humanity of Jesus that tends to get underemphasized. Mm. I think most evangelical churches are would be more offended by a strong assertion of Jesus's manhood than his godhood. Mm-hmm. You stand up in a in a good solid evangelical conservative pulpit, uh, pulpit and you say. Jesus was, was God, very God. He spun the universe into existence. He will exist forever. And people are going to be clapping and hollering, amen, hallelujah, Jesus. But if I come up and I say, Jesus was a man. He lived among men. He did not access his divinity, his powers, until the Holy Spirit came upon him. He had the possibility of sinning. He grew tired. He scraped his knees. He People will start to get a little uncomfortable with you. And they're yep. going to wait for you to, to emphasize the truth even though those things are just as true. Mm -hmm. Although one is as necessary as the other, we kind of cringe at the implications of a human Jesus because we believe that God is unlimited and humanity, well, we're just, we are limited. And it's easier for us to accept that a man could transcend human limitation than that God could ever be limited in any way.
1: Oh, I think it's some of it too, is because we've got a little bit of Gnosticism that we haven't dealt with, where we just assume that the material and the physical is somehow not spiritual, right? Well, you're, so you're saying that Jesus is like, as if there's an opposition there, which we didn't get that from scripture. We got that from, you know, other places, right? Even like we talked about in the beginning that what people are inherently saying there when they get all weirded out by that is, well, you wouldn't say that Jesus would be so gross and coarse as to have a body. And it's like, I'm not saying it, the Bible says it. And and, and your problem is that you're assuming that somehow that lowers Jesus, when really what Jesus is doing is lifting man up by the incarnation.
0: Yeah, and, but I have to say this guys, the very character of the incarnation was limitation. I mean, when the son of yeah. God became a man, he limited himself. Yeah. And yes. I mean, we've already gone <laughs> through this, but like Jesus was not omnipresent while he was on the earth. Mm. He was mm. in one place at a time. Well, that's easy enough to accept. Okay, but neither was he operating in his omnipotence or his omniscience in the flesh. Right. That does not mean that he was not still God. Does that bother you to hear though? Because that's the scriptural truth. I say, well, Jesus had did miracles. Okay, yeah, but before we get to that, just let the scripture speak for itself. Hebrews 2.17, in all things, he, that's Jesus, had to be made like his brethren. And how many things, Zach? All things. All things. Are you omniscient? No. Are you omnipotent? No. Then why would you expect Jesus, the man, to be? Good question. If he's fully man? (laughs) Yeah, Jesus limited himself. I'm not talking about that Jesus was, you know, like the genie forced into the lamp. Like, he intentionally, on purpose... Humbled himself, limited himself, emptied himself.
1: You see why theology is important, by the way? Knowing what the Bible really says about Jesus' incarnation, it will help you defend against foolish things that people say when they're trying to make theological conclusions. If you say, well, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and he did miracles and he said that then the Comforter was going to come to us and and all these benefits would come to us and we'd receive his inheritance so I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and do miracles, and someone says, oh, well, no, that's Jesus. That's different what they're they're appealing to some standard of how somehow Jesus's experience on earth is different from yours. You you hear that, right? And and what you can only push back against what I believe is faulty theology if you know yeah, but it wasn't different. Jesus did choose to limit not. himself. He did walk in the flesh in the same way as me. The only difference is without sin. There's no special difference where, yeah, but Jesus had superpowers and so he can do miracles. No, <laughs> no Jesus didn't. did miracles the in Holy the Spirit. same way, right? He did miracles in the same way that he would ask me to obey and, and, and step forward. And we only know these things through carefully understanding theologically what it meant for him to be a man.
0: Now, I'm not arguing that Jesus became less divine at the incarnation. Of course not. That's silly. We'll, we'll explain this in a little bit. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 53, when he was being arrested and Peter pulled out a sword and took a swing at Malchus, Jesus said, do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus st- saying there, I have access to my divine privileges but he never availed himself of them because he was a man. He was a full man. We guard Christ's divinity with, with the determination you just heard. But if we believe the Bible, we got to be just as dogged in our defense of his humanity. Jesus' life, as Zach said, is an example. It's a sympathetic encouragement to us as we suffer. Jesus did not sin. Hmm. but And that's a significant difference. But we should not make more of it than we ought to in, a, in an attempt to protect Jesus, Mm -hmm. Louis Burkhoff, who is a uh, commentator and a theologian, he said, the splendor of Jesus's deity should not be stressed to the extent of obscuring his real humanity. Yep. You know, (laughs) one of the primary benefits of studying church history is that you get to see the things that the church has faced down before Mm -hmm. and then overcome them. It lets you calm down a little bit. (laughs) Assaults on the humanity of Christ have come in the past, but they've never worked so I want to focus on on two of these that will hopefully be helpful for us. Uh, let's talk about Gnosticism for a bit, Zach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christianity tends to draw the attention of some weird people who want to use the <laughs> church as a vehicle for their weird ideas. Have yes, you noticed that? I have, in fact. I, we just listed a few, actually. But even in the early church, Gnosticism. Can you talk to me a little bit about Gnosticism, Zach? What is this?
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's hard to even point, pinpoint down because it, it, it never, it wasn't like a formal religion in the same way that Christianity was. It was basically this set of weird ideas, Greek ideas, theological concepts, uh, strange mysticism stuff that was blended together then with the gospel. It, they tried to latch onto the gospel and it seems like they saw that it's like, oh yeah, we like that because it says similar things to what we say. Kind of interesting, similar to what we see nowadays.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's what um, the, the unions are doing. Yeah, that's, that's, very much. Like, yeah. Oh, this is kind of like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, and <laughs> and, and and similar. You know. Anyway, don't want to get sidetracked by that. Um, similar to what you see in modern day, these people see Christianity. They say, "Oh, that, that's like what we think. We can let's let's get in there and we'll mix it up with them and talk to them, and and you know maybe we have similarities." And, and the consistent elements it would produce this strange mix that Paul especially began to really vehemently fight against in the church. Um, we believe that that was when he encountered some of these early Gnostics. So some of the some of the consistent elements they believed in what's called gradations of deity, which means they thought that the whole world was organized on this hierarchy scale where there's, there's these creatures and then these creatures and then people and then these angels and these other angels and then gradually you get up to God. It was this
0: weird kind of um, Yeah, that the, the central God would just spin off sparks of divinity right? and they, the farther and farther away you got from God, then you know, the less and less you were and the, the material plane was, was evil and uh yes. And you know, what we needed was somebody to come and liberate us from this this flesh and Yeah, they said so, all of
1: existence had a spark of divinity, but was trapped in corrupt yeah. flesh.
0: Time out there, by the way. When you hear people talking about the spark of divinity, that mm. is not Christian theology. It's, it's Gnostic. <laughs> we, that yeah. is Gnostic Directly, theology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's Kabbalism. That is not no. Christianity. We all, have a, we all we are have made the in divine... the image of God. Right. That's not the same no. thing. We do not you not all are not have, God.
1: We do not all have the divine in us.
0: No, we do not. You,
1: even in, when we teach the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to say we are all the divine. That is not what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is. No. Anyhow.
0: um, <laughs> Yeah, so you, you got this this carnal physical world that is that is terrible and what you need to get out of it is gnosis g-n-o-s-i-s that's gnosis it's a greek word for knowledge you need to be enlightened does this all sound familiar because it's still around enlightened to understand the truth and what we need we need someone to come and break us out of our prison and lo and behold here come the Christians talking about the Son of God, who was made flesh, who died and rose again. Mm. And so for these people, they're like, oh, this is the guy we've been waiting for. And he was, but not the way they thought. Because they did not, Zach, believe in the propitiatory sacrifice of Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the example that would guide us all towards enlightenment and yeah. break out of the flesh. And they th- that's what they thought. Yeah, so the gospel he... is no longer about forgiveness. It's about enlightenment. It's about ascending yeah. and being. Yes, and, exactly.
1: And, and it's, you know, it, by the way, there's traces of this that you can hear that come all the way down to the present day. If you've ever heard a very weak sauce pseudo-Christian, you know, cleric kind of talked to you about, well, you know, Jesus came to point the way to how all men could be like God. That's a that's a Gnostic concept. Yep. Yes, that is part of what Jesus did, but not in the way you're talking about, friend, right? If you've ever seen The Matrix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's that's, all Gnosticism. Yeah, that's woke Gnosticism, yeah, too, true, man. True, true, true. Right? Wokeness
0: and is a kind of Gnosticism. It, it is.
1: If you, you know, the, the, that, that concept of what, it you know, it, it, The Matrix, it, the whole, you know, there's no spoon, right? Meaning the material world is nothing. And what's not there,
0: that's how you gain power. You have to realize that
1: it's not real. You have to wake up and realize, right? (laughs) Wake up and realize that the the current horrible, bad, evil material world isn't your real home. There's a other spiritual dimension that you have to be able to access and become
0: part of. And that gives you power in this world. And you need the one to come, die, and rise from the dead so that now he can awaken more people. Did that and then they they mix it with their politics and it sure. became more obvious as time went on. But that's Gnostic Christianity. Is that you? You we are all trapped in this material. But um, here's the problem with Gnosticism that they had, Zach, namely that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person from a real place. <laughs> yeah, there were people who knew him and talked with him and ate with him, and how can jesus be the light from another realm if he's subject to hunger and fatigue and death and that's that's why the gnostics taught that jesus wasn't really incarnate yeah and remember they because he couldn't have been because then he couldn't be the light because if he had flesh then he would have been evil and remember they believe something that
1: actual christians
0: do not believe which is that
1: everything material and of the flesh was evil not just not spiritual, evil. Yep. And it's important to note that, that that's why we have to be careful about these things. In accept, we, If we accept these ideas, we can get pretty close to this. If you believe that having a body is somehow evil, that Jesus would never, then all of a sudden you start saying wrong things about Jesus. And what happened is the church had to push back against them and say, no, 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 it's not wrong to have a body. It's just wrong to sin. Yeah,
0: Jesus God, God created. We're, we're waiting for the resurrection of the body. Right. That's the Christian eternal state, not... Mm-hmm. Eternal you know, Nirvana, which is the Hindu Buddhist idea right. of being united with the eternal Floating universe, around like some gas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. no, yeah. like you're—it's the the personal, literal resurrection of the body, like yeah. what Jesus had. So the Gnostics didn't hold to the resurrection, they didn't hold to the crucifixion, they didn't hold to the incarnation. Really, they no. just—you know—that we were fortunate enough to have a spark. Come to us from. It's like it's. It was very weird, and mm-hmm. it's. It's very similar. It was Gnosticism was different from this next thing, but I mentioned Docetism or Docetism, depending how you pronounce it. Uh, it comes from the Greek word docaine, which means to seem or to appear. So you can kind of see where this is going <laughs> a docetist right. believed that jesus did not really have a body it just appeared like he did so they would have writings that said jesus didn't leave footprints in the sand and he didn't really die on the cross do you see how all of these things are building to the same thing mm-hmm. jesus did not die on the cross for your sins right this is what happens when you let god's truth sit in judgment over your uh or sorry when you free, refuse to let god's truth sit in judgment over your own ideas and
1: islam but it holds to a similar pretty similar idea
0: that oh yeah J- jesus appeared to have died on the cross but he was you know translated or removed from the cross yeah, and, either, either yeah. god tricked the romans into accidentally crucifying simon of cyrene or that uh jesus just appeared to die and, and god snatched Both him of up which heaven. are foolish but anyway moving on <laughs> so that's i mean you can hear how dumb that yeah, is right yeah. it's like it says he died on the cross well, but he only he only looked like he did. It's like there's no way to ever prove or disprove that. I, I You know, of course, they don't believe in the resurrection either. But, um, yeah, anyway, we'll have to talk about that later. But here's another one. Okay, here's another more subtle one. Um, a guy named Apollinarius. And Apollinarius was kind of, they had trouble getting rid of this guy because he was very, like, known for his spirituality and his piety and he did all the right things. Um. So he ended up getting excommunicated for the things that he believed, but this was just before uh, the Arian emperors. We talked about Arianism before, and uh, all the Orthodox bishops were exiled, guys like Athanasius. So Apollinarius reaches out to these Orthodox bishops like them and says, hey guys, let's work together. And uh, these pastors said, absolutely not. You're still a heretic. That's a great lesson for (laughs) us, by the way. Like, you know, heresy does not, you know, you don't make common cause with one heretic to fight against another heretic. And it's also a good lesson for us that heresy does not always come raging and foaming at the mouth. Often it comes from the kind of people you like Mm. or even love. And I, I will, you know, say this kindly, but I think, for example, a lot of our, Friends in in the American Pacific Northwest and up in like the big cities, a more progressive stripe, were more susceptible to the the woke thing, more susceptible to the emergent church. Sure, with because it came packaged in their kind of package. Mm-hmm. And I don't hold this again, but very kind of, to lack of a better description, skinny jeans and dark glasses. Sure that's their vibe. It came, you know, drinking coffee and vaping and, you know, like in the, in the inner city and kind of had this very urban vibe. And I think a lot of, you know, down South, we didn't like that anyway. It's like, who is this, you know, Yankee coming over here talking about, you know, the virgin birth might not have happened. Like we were prepared for that and we got our own issues, but we were prepared and inoculated against that. And uh, I warn folks at our church all the time, not to jump on board with guys who say things you like, but that's just an example. So. You know, how can you say that about him? He's such a, look how holy he is. It's like John tells us to look at their teaching and Paul tells us to look at their teaching, not just their life, right? Character is important, but it's not the only thing. God saved and used a lot of people that had terrible character, but had faith in their doctrine, right? That's (laughs) the most important thing. So anyway, we got to, I always like telling that story because it's so instructive for us, but Apollinarius taught that the human spirit was by definition, sinful and corrupt which leads to a conflict because Jesus became a man. So he took on this very odd idea that Jesus, the son of God, took on the body of a man, but did not take on the spirit or the nature of a man. So it's almost like a puppet, like he picked up a body mm. and, and possessed it, kind of like Avatar. Like you know, the body mm-hmm. was grown, and then he would jack in, and he would be, you know, he'd be. It's actually a pretty good analogy. I just thought of that. Mm-hmm. How you like that guys? <laughs> you know, just like that, he still was God in his mind, and still God in his thoughts, and still God in his desires. Although he was in a human body, and uh, this was rightly identified as heresy. Now, listen, some of you guys might think a version of this. Mm. This is wrong. It wasn't Arianism which denied the deity of Christ. It was the opposite which is just as deadly. If Apollinarius is right, then Jesus was not really a man. He was wearing a costume, which destroys the idea of the substitutionary atonement because then he wasn't really a man dying in our place. Can mm-hmm. you expand on that a little bit, Zach? On If Jesus was not really a man, even in his spirit and his nature, then he did not die as a substitute for us. No, and, and he, yeah, first of all, yeah, it
1: destroys the atonement, um, which... Importantly enough, usually when you're a heretic, the atonement is one of the next things to go. So um, it destroys the atonement. It also, I think, destroys something that's maybe less, maybe we get at it less intellectually, but it's important emotionally, meaning that the Bible constantly talks about that Jesus came as our brother. He came as our friend, that he, he, was, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with our griefs and sufferings, that he that says he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. How is that true? If Jesus doesn't have a spirit like mine and a will like mine, mine and feelings like mine and 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 temptations like mine it's not and therefore to say that jesus then well he was yeah he was like you except the whole part where you have all these other bits that he didn't have he just got to kind of puppet a a a flesh body around on earth and never really interact with all of the horrible things that you have to deal with well then he's not
0: like me and that feels very safe because you feel like you're guarding the deity of christ but you're not you you kind of this this has a this you know with all due respect kind of kind of has a an older church lady vibe about it. Mm. Like, oh my Jesus, he never, he never would have yeah. thought, he, he couldn't think like me. He just, he was God and just, he was a, in a body. But, but look, our entire salvation is based upon the fact that Jesus was our propitiator, propitiation. Yep. He was the propitiatory atonement. He died on the cross in our place because he was everything that we are. Otherwise he couldn't have. Right.
1: And, and you, it's a good point that you point out. A lot of times you, we have to be careful, guys, sometimes of the desire to protect the Bible from itself or to <laughs> yeah. protect God yeah, from himself. Go. And, you know, I'll point out maybe this is oh, the one that... Oh, God, why'd you say it that way? Yeah, you know, maybe maybe some of <laughs> you will be uncomfortable when I say this, but th- this is the same. Watch out for this tendency because it can it can genuinely lead you guys to theological problems that can hurt you. The tendency, let's say, for example, of when people read in the, in the scriptures, when Jesus turns water into wine at, at Cana, and there are good people that will read that and say, well, but, but grape juice, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but not, yeah. but not wine, wine, like, but, you know, like grape juice. Now, here's the problem, guys. What does that's it say, though? That's not
0: true. That's my favorite it's, thing. It says, what does it say? Right, what
1: does it, say? it says it just turned water into wine. It says he turned water into the best wine. Now, you and me, friends, can we can have a discussion about what we should take from that or, or what you practice in your daily life. And that's all great. And I, I, I agree that there will be even differences of opinion. But you know what? We don't get to put Jesus in a box that we're comfortable with and say, well, but but Jesus would never, but Jesus did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Bible says that Jesus did. And therefore we need to be okay with, uh, with be, what the scripture clearly teaches. And if we are not, then we need to ask ourselves, what does that say about what it, I think? The and Bible really?
0: has to set your expectations, guys. Yes. And if you come across something in scripture that unsettles you, you need to be unsettled and readjust. <laughs> right. Yeah, like So we've been saying these things. We're, the point we're trying to make is Apollinarius was a heretic. Yeah. Jesus was not God wearing a mask. He was not lying in his cradle in that manger pondering the mysteries of the universe. Mm. He was a little baby. Yeah, Luke 2.52. Luke wrote, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Like your kids Jesus too. increased in wisdom. Yeah. Jesus had to be taught his ABCs mm-hmm. or his... Aleph Bate he, <laughs> he had to be taught them. Yep. He had to learn how to walk. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to learn. Jesus had his diaper changed, yep. right? He was fully <laughs> man with yep. a man's spirit and a man's body. Now, you might not grasp all the ins and outs of that. That's fine. That's the text, guys. Mm. And let's i will read some more verses here. We, we've kind of talked through what we kind of had here in our notes, but Jesus had to be a man because he was the sacrifice for sin. This is Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Inasmuch then, As the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus had to become a human so that he could die. I'm going to quote from Erickson again. The validity of the work accomplished in Christ's death. So the validity of his work. Or at least its applicability to us as human beings depends upon the reality of his humanity, just as its efficacy depends upon the genuineness of his deity. Real simple, guys. Jesus needed to be human if he was going to represent fallen humanity on the cross. Mm. We've been dealing with this as Christians for centuries, millennia. So let, let's, let's get to this. We know the heresies. Let's look at what the Bible actually says. And, and we're, we're starting to get dicey with our time here and everything we wanted to talk about. But um, th- there's three basic things. Like the, the humanity of Jesus is assumed in the New Testament. Yeah. So let, when it says he became a man, it expects you just to take that for what it says. So let's look at, at three things here. Number one, Jesus was born into a human family. Jesus had a human family and a human lineage, Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3. Yeah, documents it. Yeah, and in fact, in John 7, 27, the fact that they knew who his family was Uh was considered a mark against him being the Messiah. Right. Because they said, well, we don't know where Messiah is going to come from. We expect him to be real mysterious and stuff, but we know where he was born, Bethlehem. We know roughly when he was born. We know to whom he was born. The Virgin Mary. That's another thing too. A lot of times we don't want to think about Mary having labor pains with baby Jesus. We don't want to think of Joseph dry or, you know, whoever was there helping at the time, drying off baby Jesus and spanking his butt to get him to start crying. Like when our babies were born. It's like, oh, you shouldn't talk like that. No, what that's all in the story, guys. Yep, 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 yep. yep. If we if if we were to try to prove that someone was in fact a human in a court of law, like you know, like some weird sci fi, you gotta prove that you're human, <laughs> you would start with their birth certificate right? You, you got with where were they born and how were they born? In other parts of the world, you don't use birth certificates. You look at a person's genealogy. Mm-hmm. We go to Nepal a lot and do ministry. The genealogy and the birth of Jesus is a key point for many different Hindu converts because they've got all these weird gods, but they all take in place like some other plane of existence. Mm-hmm. But you hear about Jesus as a real person. You see the name of his fathers. You see you can buy a Plane ticket to where he lived. Right. <laughs> it draws attention to the truth of this man. So I mean, maybe Jesus had something important to say. If he actually was a man, the Son of God became an actual man. So Zach, you take the second one. Jesus had a normal body.
1: Yeah, simple enough. We don't we don't hold to this weird, you know, Docetism view or the Gnostic view that no, that would have that, that's can never be true of God. That's he. That's evil for him to possess a material. That's not true. He remember he what he came. He came to be the last Adam. Well, the first Adam had a had a body, right? He had a body. Um, he that means he had this. He had a body like your body. He, we we've quoted from Luke 2:52. Jesus
0: developed and grew like a human child. Jesus went through puberty. Yeah, there you go. That's sorry, guys. If yep. That's hard for you to hear. It's in there. Yeah, it's it. Well, and, and when you
1: think about it, even for just a minute, if if he didn't, then he didn't partake in the same things. If Jesus wasn't hungry like I'm hungry when he was fasting, then the fasting doesn't count.
0: Well, he could fast forever. He was God. No, no, he couldn't. No, no. <laughs> he could have died, right? Like yeah, he, he would he could have.
1: have died if he had continued fasting. He, You know, we read about him being hungry and tired and thirsty. When he died, when he was on the cross, he bled. He experienced pain. He died in a manner consistent with him having a human body. What, what does the crucifixion mean if it wasn't the same kind of torment for him as the two thieves that were next to him? Yep. Right. Like how, how is the, any of that meaningful at all? And, and is it, you know, as evidence of his eternal incarnation, this is, this might blow your mind. Do you know that Jesus still has a human body? Yep.
0: He remains man for all of eternity.
1: And that's important. You can, sometimes people forget that Jesus, Jesus didn't lay aside that because again, it wasn't a shell. It wasn't a puppet. G, the, the human body is now absorbed into the Godhead it is a part of the trinity blow your mind yeah is is a is a eternal last adam who is god and he is also fully man so his body wasn't found in the tomb it it still bears the scars of his torment he he was resurrected in the same body he had correct it's had it had scars right When, when the disciples got up to heaven after they were martyred they recognized jesus because they say, oh yeah, that's that's what he looked like. We saw him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, humans have bodies, and and so did Jesus. So Jesus was a real human. He he didn't have, you know. Again, the the, the miracles of Jesus were not like what Superman does. <laughs> Do
0: you see what I'm saying? <laughs> like it wasn't like well, baby yeah, Superman lifting up ex- a, a car. Exactly. And <laughs>
1: they they were they were in dwellings and were outworkings of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't have naturally done those things because he chose to limit himself to a human body. He couldn't heal somebody's blindness by spitting in the mud, just like you can't, unless the Holy Spirit works through you. That's exactly how Jesus So important to know, guys. He was not some Greek, you know, demigod, right? Because that's the the the, yeah. the the cultures around him expected. Yeah, well, you, if you've got you've got a part man, part god, so he's he's still got some of his god powers, but he's also kind
0: of like us. You no, know, Hercules is is not he's not like Zeus, but he can still you know right. whip the Hydra and mm-hmm. he can still you know you know wrangle the cattle and kill he the... he's like, fully no, man and man. fully god, which is different. right? Yes. So we said that Jesus was born to a human family, he had a human body, and here we go. Jesus lived a normal human life. Mm-hmm. He was hungry, Matthew four. He was sad. John eleven, yeah. He was displeased. John two, mm-hmm. Mark eight. He showed compassion. These are different from just physical phenomena. When it ta- those things that I just described—hunger, sorrow, displeasure, and compassion—these are internal. Yeah. Jesus's life was exactly what you'd expect of a normal human being. Forget the miracles; we've already hit on that. Not only was Jesus capable of living a normal life—that's exactly what he lived. In fact, Jesus, when he went back home. <laughs> They refused to believe in him because they thought he was so normal. They, they, I'm going to read this. This is from Mark 6, 3. It said, is not this the carpenter? <laughs> the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Jesus had sisters, by the way. So, so they were offended at him. To them, they're like, Jesus is no different than any of these other kids. Yeah. What makes him so special? So... That, that tells us that the kind of life Jesus lived was not like some child hero. Mm. There's all these Catholic traditions that Jesus like yes. healed a bird when right. its wing was broken. And all this. that's just not true. Jesus did not do any supernatural things until the Holy Spirit came upon him. Yeah, it says that. Yeah. So Jesus was not just this eternal divine figure of hope or this. Hel- he was the incarnate son of man. And friends, if you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. hmm First John four, two through three, by this, you know, the spirit of God, meaning here's how you tell the difference between a false teaching and a true teaching. John says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now already in the world. According to the Bible, Sack. To deny the humanity of Jesus is to believe the spirit of the Antichrist.
1: Yep, he came in the flesh.
0: Yep. So I hope you can hear how we push just as strongly on the deity and the humanity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We don't swing with the pendulum, guys. We rest on the truth of scriptures. So when you grasp it, I hope you can you can feel that we're, we're trying to get you to accept everything the Bible says in its fullness. It just lets you kind of let out your breath a little just, oh, okay, okay. I don't have to try to make it fit. I can just accept these things. Mm. This is what is called the hypostatic union. <laughs> yes. And you like, what does that mean? Well, this is how we bring it together. We just said, okay, Jesus is man. Jesus is God. Now let's talk about how this works together. We say the term incarnation. That's the enfleshment mm-hmm. of Jesus. And you might say, oh yeah, yeah, God became a man. All right, it's straightforward. But the problem is, you gather ten people in a room. You know, do one of those man-on-the-street interviews. What does it mean that God became a man? You might get several different answers. So if you are an ancient Roman, if you've ever read the Metamorphoses, which is Ovid wrote that, um, you think of, well, Zeus became a swan, and Zeus became a bull. Horrible stories there. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> he became a man, he became a swan, became a bull. And, well, it's like that. It was an aesthetic change. You know, he Zeus looked he looked different, yeah. but mm. it was still... Um, you know, it didn't affect Christ's nature, just affect his appearance. If you're a modern man, you might hear that and say, okay, that means that Jesus left behind his deity. He was no longer God. He just, he became like just a man forever. And you might think the idea of a dual nature is is more impossible than incarnation itself. A Hindu is going to interpret this differently. A Muslim (laughs) will, A a witch doctor, right, is going to do that. So this is why theology helps us to be precise in the things that we say, so that when we have this common parlance as Christians, we know what we mean by this, and this is what we're teaching. So Zach, the Incarnation was something absolutely unique to all of existence. It might be like the central fact of all yeah, of history. It's the singular that event. God became yeah. a man. Yeah. So the son did not lose any of his deity when he became a man. He remains the infinite God- very God forever. However. He also took on humanity fully. He is as human as you or I, only without sin. Jesus Christ, you with me, is 100% God and 100% man. And Zach, that does not make a proportional 50-50. It adds to 200%. Right. Jesus is 200%. I could do a sermon series on that and sell (laughs) t-shirts. Jesus is 200%. It doesn't average out. He's not, you know, 70%... uh, you know, God and 30% man. And then today he's 90% man and 10% right. God. You know, I've I just bought a hybrid. Um, so don't hate me for that, guys. But, you know, hybrid <laughs> car. And it's got the little thing on the dash that it shows you when you're, how much of the uh, electricity of the engine you're using and how much of the gas powered you're using. And it goes back and forth, like when you're accelerating versus when you're braking. That is not how the incarnation mm-hmm. worked. Jesus' nature is not, well, when he was healing a blind man, you know, you were way over into the deity side. But, you know, when he was weeping over Lazarus, he was way over to the humanity side. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And we call this, Zach, the hypostatic union. So we've had a lot of uh, vocabulary terms going through this here. You got to know this one, guys. This comes from the Greek word Hypostasis. And you say, oh, okay, more more foreign words. Well, work with me here. Remember earlier we said that God is three in persons, but one in substance? The word substance comes from the, the Latin word substantia. Yeah. It's a transliteration. But that word substantia, our word substance, is a translation of the Greek word hypostasis. We said God is the only one who has the quality of godness, and that the Trinity is Three persons in one hypostasis, one godness. So the son has the hypostasis, the substance of God. Mm -hmm. You and I as man have the hypostasis of man. Our substance is that of man. We have the quality of humanity. So here, work with me now. When Christ was made incarnate, he took on the hypostasis, the substance, the nature of man. He did not lose the nature or the hypostasis of God. He added to himself the hypostasis of man. That's the hypostatic union, Zach. The two, I see saying his name like he doesn't know this already. But, uh, <laughs> the two were not blended together without mixture, without dilution. He did not lose a little deity to make room. He's not less human because he's God. There is another creed that you should know about, the Chalcedonian Creed, written in AD 451, that says the two natures of Christ, God and man, were without change, without division, and without separation. So the godness and the humanity of Jesus are without change, without division, and without separation. We call this hypostatic, comes from the word hypostasis, hypostatic union. A more easier way to get it would be union of natures, union of Substances. Christ is fully God and fully man. So uh, the, the most plain scripture that talks about this is Philippians 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Zach, do you want to run this through for us? Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8.
1: Yeah, so it, it talks about Jesus and says that being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So the form when you hear the form of God, that doesn't mean that he appeared to be God.
0: Yeah, that that sounds like you're saying, well, it, it looked like God. Yeah, No, no, no. That's <laughs> not that's not what it's saying there. The
1: Greek word is morphe and talks about the nature of Christ. So the verse goes on to say he's equal with God. He says he made himself of no reputation, taking the form, again the morphe of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. Whatever so whatever it was that made Jesus equal with God, the the, the morphe his of his morphe, God, his form, right. He took this on in relation to man. Because remember, it's the same It's the same word and it's making the same comparison. So if he, he was in the morphe of God, now he's also taking on the morphe of man, a bondservant. And he is equal to man. He came in the likeness of men, the homo, homoia? Mm. Homoyoma. There we go. The homoyoma. <laughs> uh, the, of of uh, the sameness, I guess would be a way of saying that, uh, of, of men. So Christ was equal with God, was God.
0: He's now made himself equal to man and is man. Yeah, that the whole point of that passage, guys, is whatever Jesus had as God, right? He took on that as humanity, right? The form yeah. of God, the Morphe of God. And what does he have as
1: God? Well, we've talked about with the Trinity throughout. He has the substance. He has the. the he has yep, all those things. The okay. nature of God. He took all those things on as man. He took yep. on the nature, the substance, the, the everything of that. He's
0: he he became as man as he is God. Yeah, and, and this is the thing people have a hard time holding on to this. Mm. (laughs) It always goes back and forth. You know, during his life, the idea that he was more than man was offensive. Mm -hmm. And the next few centuries, everybody had to defend the fact, no, he was a human. In the recent past, uh, Western Christianity neglected the deity of Christ. We even tried to say, can we be Christians without this? And, you know, the the pendulum is swinging again, though, where the emphasis is on Jesus's eternal value and, and like whether he exists is kind of a side issue. Mm-hmm. And that's the first step towards denying the humanity of Christ. I think there might even be some in the public eye that would deny the humanity of Jesus or say that it's completely irrelevant. So <laughs> well, if you say something is a side issue, Zach, like the actual nature of Jesus, then that's the first step towards tossing it out. Yeah. Yes. It's minimizing it. And you can't minimize
1: these things that we've talked about because this is this is central to... what. Can you see how quickly these these different heresies and these different changes to the doctrine, they immediately change what you do as a Christian. They change how you relate to God, how you relate to Jesus. You can't just simply twiddle some of the dials and say, yeah, but it's kind of the same. You know, that, that's not how this works at all. We receive these things and submit to what is true in Scripture. We don't just kind of a- adjust the formula to something that is more comfortable to us. Remember, we talked about that. Um, and, and, you know... The, not only, and especially when it comes to these things, because we talked about this already, the hypostatic union is it. It, it didn't
0: stop. Yes, we, Jesus, Jesus you didn't emphasize that, right? For us, meaning, man.
1: meaning, because you talked about how it's not this this dial, right? Where oh, Jesus is Superman when he's he's really man now that he's on Earth, but then when he went back to be with his father, he became more kind of like God and less like man. That's heretical. We do we do not believe that Jesus dropped his deity off on earth and then just ascended back to being fully god but not fully man that is not what happened
0: no what you see is, is in revelation john sees jesus he's the, he's the man jesus but he's glorified right so remember while he was on earth jesus was in hypostatic union but he was only accessing his humanity mm-hmm. now he accesses both of them that means he is god and man forever paul says in First timothy 2 5 that the only mediator That we have is the man, Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. After his resurrection, Thomas reached out and touched the scars. Jesus ate on the beach with his disciples. Mm -hmm. He retains his body. He still bears the twin natures of God and man. So you could say that the work that Jesus did on the earth has scarred him for all of eternity. There was no going back when the son became a man. And yet he did so anyway.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's love, man. That's real love. And, you know, we're kind of winding down here uh, as we talk about the, the hypostatic union. But we should just take some time and just praise the Lord right now. I mean, Romans eleven thirty three is talking about a different issue. But Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know, we say things like "Oh, Jesus is the son of God casually. But there's so much behind that statement. Yeah. Like that is is we got to not just pass by the deep things of God. This is something that only God could have done. Dak, what if would you ever have had the guts to go to God and say, hey, God, I've got a plan. What if you became a man forever and died for us? <laughs> right. No. Would you ever ask God for that? Not
1: at all. And that's that's part of why the gospel is so incredible is it's, it's completely unthinkable otherwise. Right. Nobody makes this up. Here, I tell you what God's gonna right. What, what, what we have stories about what happens when people just sort of make up a story about God. There, you know, we've got lots of myths, and they're fun to read, and uh, but they're not like this. Zeus. No, people
0: don't not, make up a story yeah. about it. and then i tell you what zeus is gonna
1: you know zeus is gonna uh turn be, into
0: a swan and rape somebody
1: right that's well that's <laughs> a story that they make up but they don't make up a story of it. and i tell you what then all the the most important of the gods he's going to become a man he's going to stay like that forever and what's he oh what's he going to do when he becomes a man he's going to be a great hero that's going to be an example no he's mostly going to die and, and then he's going to and then he's going to come back to life and that and he will forever retain a, an aspect you know he will forever retain humanity within himself in in such a way that now we're united with him that's not a thing that people made up when they made up stories about god this is so crazy in some ways that it it kind of has to be true that may not be a very persuasive argument to you but let me just say as a a believer that makes sense to me that yeah this is so wild that the only way this could have happened is if god decided to start doing it because none of us would come up with this
0: yeah then it says jesus did not count count equality with god a thing to be grasped he didn't count it robbery he's not like You're not taking this from me. Mm. I'm up here in glory with the Father. I'm not about to go down. He he didn't care. He did it for us. He's truly worthy of all praise and adoration. And just, we worship Jesus. Mm. Like, we have to just hit that hard, guys. We worship Jesus. He's not just our example, Mm. He is our God. We worship Jesus. Christ, We don't worship the Father and then Jesus is over here as as God's Mm -hmm. helper. Mm -hmm. We worship God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Are you feeling me on this one? Mm -hmm. And we didn't even get to get into some of the implications for our own salvation here. We will hit those on another date, but let's just end with an illustration. What would you think if God said, hey, I want you to come here. I I got a plan for you. (laughs) There's this planet full of rats. (laughs) And they're not, you know, nice little... Lab rats with pink noses that, you know, some gamer girl is going to like have on her lap while she's playing. It's like they're mangy, nasty, like disease infested rats. And they're always eating each other. And just they're it's disgusting. And I, I want to save them. And I want to use you to save them. I say, wow, my God is so full of love that he would save something so disgusting. And what can I do, God? And God says, I want you to become a rat. <laughs> right.
1: Oh, good. So I'll, you know, for a little while, I'll, 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 be making, I'll be an example to all rat kind, and I'll, and I'll go down there and show them how to be truly rats, right? And then I'll get to not do I'll that. I'll be
0: the glorious, good-looking, no, right, the no. best rat. <laughs> you're going to experience everything that a rat experiences. You're going to be rejected and torn apart by your fellow rats. And many of us would say, Ah, oh, no way! But some of us might say, Oh Lord, uh, if that's really what you want. But what if God said not only that you're going to uh, remain a rat? For all eternity. You're going to be the special mediator. Between me and the rats. You're going to be the rat king. The rat mm. of rats. Would you hesitate? <laughs> because we see that. And say, well that's, that's, that's shameful to say. That God thought that about us. Guys it's worse than that. Mm. He's God in heaven. And we are. We, he's triple personed, And here we are with our single personed bodies. Like walking around in this earth. In utter rebellion and sin and filth against God. And yet he did that. He crossed that divide, that hypostatic union, God and man forever. Mm. How amazing is that? Mm. Is what What can you really say at that point? You know, there's, there's a lot more to say, actually, <laughs> but uh, we, we're going to set it aside for today. Um, when we talk about Jesus... In relation to the Trinity, he is that second person of the Godhead, but the second person of the Godhead became a man to die on the cross for you and me and then rose from the dead so that we could be saved forever. That's what a Christian believes about Jesus. And I hope that this has been instructive and helpful for you. And if you're not a believer, this is what is required of you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe everything Mm -hmm. that scripture says about him, to believe the story and throw yourself at his feet as his servant and his slave forever but when you do that guys you're not just a servant you are brought into fellowship and relationship with god and adopted as his other son so mm-hmm. we're going to talk more about that later i'm just itching to get into it but we're running out of time zach you got anything else to say as we wrap it up today no i hope as always i
1: i we i, I always we have the thing on the website theology for normal people right and i just i, I want to always encourage you guys like this is you, you even not heard what you're describing you can get this
0: this is totally. normal
1: stuff. You know, this is part of being a Christian. And of course, there's. you're never going to be able to, it's like a lake that you'll never see the bottom of, right? You'll never be able to plumb the whole depths of what all that means. But you can keep going deeper every year. You can keep understanding more of, well, and if that's true about Jesus, then that means this. And that, and we're going to talk more about the implications. Uh-huh. As we keep going in this series. Well, like, wait, wait, wait. If Jesus is eternally in hypostatic union, and now he says that we're going to have an inheritance with them, then what, what does that mean? That I'm going to have the inheritance and the riches of Christ? And it, it spoiler means a alert, lot. John
0: yeah. didn't even quite know what right. it meant. He's it's like, really I don't cool, know though. what what to say about this yeah. really. But so, guys, we got a couple more episodes in this series. It's mm. been very helpful. What do you What do you take away from this? I know it was a lot, a lot of doctrine, a lot of words. If you can take away from this that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God and never, ever shake in your faith in that, then we'll have done our job for today. We will see you all next time here on the Works podcast. See you later. Thanks, guys.